It's your birthday. We're recording on your birthday. You had to make a script. Woo! What what would be better? What what could I enjoy more than spending time with my good friend Ian talking about physics, talking about movies? Come on. What's better than that? What better gift could I have? Sitting in a sauna. Oh, yeah, that's true. Taking a nap. Ooh, sushi? Yeah. Sushi? That's fair. Actually, uh, Allison, our new grad student this year. Shout out to Allison. Shout out to Allison. (laughs) Gave me some sushi. You can't just drop people's full names. I find you can cut that bit. (laughs) But uh, she gave me. Just put like a put like a sensor sound over it. Allison, uh, anyway, she she just gave me some sushi today. It was very nice of her. Well, that was nice of her. Was it good? It. Yeah, she probably dug it out of the garbage can. Well, yeah. I mean, so I don't like it had this that guy. kind of a vibe to it. You know, there was, I I had to pull a banana peel off the packaging. You know, it's fine. <laughs> this garbage sushi. Yeah. Well, Which, w- thanks, Allison, for giving Will some sushi on his birthday when yeah. the rest of his friends chose not to. I mean, the people are nice today. People are nice today. Really? I don't, I don't. I don't really make a huge deal out of it. You know. Did you teach classes today? I did. I did. Did anyone say? Oh no, actually, day? I didn't. I, li- I lied to you. I did not. Oh. Um. But I did. Like, I had like I was working in the tutoring center, and then I also had meetings and writing the script. That's basically the day. Wow. Nice. How and fun. And a little bit of research here and there. You're interviewing people. No. Well, hopefully later this semester. We have a lot of data from the fall. The analyzing. Um, do you want to interview me? You never took quantum, so I can't. Yeah, I'd be a you bad took, you candidate. Took four days, and then you're like, I'm too hard. Thought. Too hard. Very, very unfortunate. Great class. Great class. Uh, how was your day today, Ian? Uh, I had a pretty sad lunch, I won't lie. Oh. Kelly and I went climbing last night, and we were, I was behind on making dinner for us because she gets home mm-hmm. later on Tuesdays, so I'm supposed to make dinner. Sure. I'm ready to go. But I messed up, and the dinner we were going to have needed a marinade, so I had to pivot. Uh, I was just going to make chicken, but then Kelly was like, I got a sweet potato that I want, and I think sweet potatoes are gross, first of all. Sure. So that was running late. Yeah, people are going to have their opinions. And then we tried to eat the chicken, and I cut into mine, and it was still raw. Oh, no. (laughs) So I put it like, so I got a thinner part of the chicken and ate that, and then put the rest of it back on the pan, and then I just had like Reese's Puffs for dinner. Dang. In the car on the way to the climbing gym. Dang. So then today I just had like a very small amount of chicken, some cucumber, the smallest amount of carrot you've ever seen, and and a bag of famous Amos cookies. Wow. I might have you beat though on sad meals. Yeah? What did you have today? Well, I got up early because I had a lot of work to do. Uh, Research work before a meeting this morning. Uh, And so I had some Cheerios for breakfast, which is good. I like Cheerios. Uh, and then I got to the office, and then I forgot that I had all this other stuff later in the day because it's still the beginning of the semester, so I'm not used to the schedule yet. So I didn't bring any lunch or anything like that. Oh, no. Uh, thankfully, I have a reserve of oatmeal and frozen blueberries, just in case. So I had some oatmeal and frozen blueberries for, like, a late lunch. Did you just eat then... frozen blueberries? No, no, no. Like, you, you put the blueberries in the oatmeal, and you, and you Okay, and they kind of yeah. thaw out and make yeah, your exactly. oatmeal cold. Yeah, it, it was pretty bad oatmeal. Usually, I like it. But today it was not. It was a sad oatmeal day. It was a little bit of a sad oatmeal day, which is unfortunate. If anyone out uh, there makes food and wants to sponsor us, let us know. Oh yeah, yeah. And then thankfully Allison came through clutch and gave me some sushi, which was nice. Shout because out after to that, Allison. I got home and I had like 
an hour before we started recording, so I just like I had, to, I had to make some edits to the script, and then I ate like a PB and J. So I'm gonna eat something after we record. Me but too. But mine's gonna though. be so good. What do you? What are you having? Uh, Nicole's stew. Nicole's and, stew and um, some biscuits. Shout out to Nicole. Shout out to Nicole. Coming, coming, coming in clutch. I'm so hyped for this. What, what kind of stew is it? Uh, beef stew with potato pillows or gnocchi, if you will. Oh, I was like, what potato pillows? <laughs> Subscribe see. to Lou's Kitchen for for more recipes. Everyone, get on it. It's so good. I can't wait. I'm so hyped out of my mind for it. Let's I'm hurry up and finish this episode because I want to eat this stew. Well, everyone, welcome to the Reference Frames podcast, the podcast where Will and I try to turn physics a little more relatable by comparing it to famous uh, movie, TV show, book scenes, maybe, comic books. Haven't gotten there yet, but someday maybe. You might. Uh, wherein Will plays the role of wise old physics mentor, and I play the role of young hotshot. I am, I am older now than I was before. In this show, the first thing we do is talk about corrections we need to make to the last episode. Last episode, we talked about Wally and the conservation of momentum, mm-hmm. and we have no corrections. No one has tweeted at us. No one's told us wow. we were wrong. If you want us to read your name off, tell us about something we were wrong. It's all it takes. You could be Please famous, do. too. Or ask us a question. Either or. Hey, that's later. That's oh. later. My bad. I'm jumping the gun. I'm cutting that out. <laughs> uh... After the corrections corner, then we turned the microphone over to our good friend, our wise mentor, our physics guru, Will Rehaloma. Please, Will, take the floor. Frodo Baggins has failed. He has borne the burden of the one ring from his lush green hobbit hole in Bag End to the very precipice of flame, deep in the land of shadows. At the final step of his great trial, one simple act away from ending both his inner torment as well as that of Middle-earth. After months of carrying his burden across mountains and through lands crawling with the forces of the enemy, he is finally bent past the point of breaking by the insidious influence of the ring. Frodo surrenders to its will at last and puts on the ring, turning invisible to the world and drawing the attention of the Dark Lord Sauron. His companion, Sam, is understandably distracted by this shocking turn and Gollum knocks into the ground with a stone to the head. Even invisible, however, Frodo cannot escape Gollum's grasp, and the two wrestle near the lava bottom crevasse briefly before Gollum gnaws Frodo's finger off, ring included. Gollum frolics wildly in his joy, having finally been reunited with his precious. Frodo, his hand pouring blood and his eyes filled with rage, roars and grapples once more with the exuberant wretch. The violent struggle rapidly escalates, ultimately throwing the two off balance and over the edge. Gollum is seen falling toward the lava below, his precious grasped tightly before his eyes. His exaltation is total, and his weary face is at last at peace. The new ring-bearer's joy is short-lived, however, as he splashes into the searing pool below and begins to sink towards its fiery depths. The last emotion we see on his gaunt face is that of fear. Not for himself, but for his precious. Even after the rest of him sinks entirely from view, he still holds aloft the ring, trying desperately to save it from his own fate. A fate that, thankfully for the free people of Middle-earth, they share in the end. All right, Ian. Spiders, Mr. Frodo! Have you still not watched those movies? 
Nope, they're still downstairs under my TV. Well, spoilers um, for the end I've of seen Return them of the before, King. Once in my life. Oh, okay. Okay. Shout Fair out enough. to that one day I watched all of them in one day. That was a mistake. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. The two towers blurs together. Which is a great. Oh man. I know. I mean, I've been waiting to do. I'm only going to wait so long. Eventually, I was just like, "All right, Ian, you know what? You're not going to watch them. We're doing it anyway." I've seen them before. I've seen them before. Yeah, you yeah, don't yeah, know yeah, how yeah. it goes. The problem is, there's so many ears: Boromir and Faramir, Gandalf ear, mm-hmm. Frodo ear, Pippin ear, yeah, Legolas ear. Okay. <clears throat> what are we talking about this weekend? What do you think? Gravity. Gravity. I think it's going to be gravity. That's or free fall, maybe specifically. Mm. Or I haven't done that yet, have we? I don't think we have. No, no, no. We, we haven't touched gravity or free fall. Um, we're probably not going to do invisibility. I don't think it's the best choice here. Sure. Um, no, I'm honestly I'm feeling pretty good about pretty being confident. in the realm of gravity and free fall. Yeah, that's fair. Well, rocket I left science. A, few, a bit of a. <laughs> a bit of a red herrings in there. Quite a few of them, I thought. Um, <gasps> we are actually not talking about gravity or free fall. What? what? It is related to gravity, sort of, in a way. Uh, today we're talking about buoyancy <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Archimedes' principle. What? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You're such a little punk. Oh. What? How in the world? Gollum in the lava pool, obviously. That is what you could have picked, like, anything with a boat. Yeah, 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 but I love Lord of the Rings, and we're doing it. You know what? We're doing they it. They have boats in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> they have boats. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. It's my <laughs> show now. All right, Ian. Let's talk about buoyancy, all right? Sure. Okay. So the basic idea uh, of buoyancy, or the buoyant force, or Archimedes' principle, is that whenever an object displaces any fluid by either being fully or partially submerged in that fluid... It experiences a upward force from that fluid. Right? That's like the, the basic fundamental concept here. And fundamentally, this is due to pressure differentials. But um, we're going to talk about pressure probably later in a different episode. I don't want to get super into it right now. So let's just focus on this whole buoyancy idea and how that manifests here and, and in general. All right. Okay. So like I said, Archimedes' principle. Archimedes was a Syrac- Syracusean... Syracusan, uh, Greek. Uh, he actually died when the city was conquered by the Romans. But he was a, a really tragic, yeah. He was a mathematician slash engineer. Um, and he found out, you might, you know, the, the story of the whole Eureka and all that fun stuff. He was able to, to show that the buoyant force that an object experiences, which is an upward force, as we said, is actually exactly equal to the weight force downward of however much of that fluid was displaced, which is maybe a little hard to... Visualize, so let's break it down a bit. All right. Okay. So, Ian, we're from Minnesota. We sure are. Love that great state. All those lakes. So many lakes. Let's imagine we have a canoe, and we're going to lower it into a lake from above. Okay. Yeah. Better than lowering it from below the lake. (laughs) It's hard to do. Pretty (laughs) difficult. All right. So, from experience, we know that it it won't just rest perfectly on top of the lake, right? No. It'll sink at least a little bit into it. Yeah. Right? And we also know that ideally the canoe won't sink all the way up to or beyond the gunwales because uh, that'll fill with water. Uh, in case you're wondering, the gunwales are just like the upper rim of the boat. I learned that today. Kind of fun. Is that the right pronunciation of that word? I think it might be gunwale. 
probably gonna like bosun for boatswain maybe i'm no i'm no mar- mariner so i'm not we like arendel yeah, here's a good here's i'm not even gonna look it up prime correction opportunity for anyone out oh, there yeah if it's gunnel it. hit us with that tweet i believe you would be right it sounds like a thing that they would call it anyway sorry you know it's not gonna I'm, sink all that all the way into the water right it's gonna yeah. settle somewhere in between those two extremes yeah and the reason for that is because as the canoe sinks deeper into the water, it's displacing more water, right? It, it's pushing water out of the way to rest deep into the water, right? Mm-hmm. And so whatever level that thing will settle at, or any floating object for that matter, settles at, is the level at which the amount of water it's displacing would have the, the same weight as the object itself, in this case, the canoe. So if the canoe weighs 100 pounds, it can only, it'll rest at a level at which it's displacing 100 pounds worth of water. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Because at that special point, right, according to um, Archimedes, the gravitational force downward on the object, its weight, the canoe's weight, is perfectly balanced, counteracted by the buoyant force upwards. And as we saw in the uh, Spider-Man 2 episode, right, if those forces are balanced, it won't accelerate up or down, it'll just stay there. Mm-hmm. Right? Thanks, Spider-Man. All right, so that's buoyancy in a nutshell. All right, it displaces the fluid. The fluid pushes up with the same forces as the weight of that fluid would be in its place. Okay, so let's go back to Gollum falling into lava at the end of Return of the King. <laughs> All right, right, great. So it's worth keeping in mind, lava is molten rock, right? Rocks are dense, and therefore molten rock would be slightly less dense than that, but still quite dense. All right? Yeah. So Gollum, theoretically, should displace exactly as much lava as he himself weighs. Does that make sense? Which is not much. Yeah, he's a bit of a, a waif, for sure. Yeah. Um, and a quick Google search suggests that lava is roughly, I'm actually kind of surprised by this, it's only about three times more dense than a person, which I thought would be much more than that, but according to Google, it is not. Which means that roughly a third of his body should sink under the fiery surface, and the rest should be above. So he should be about one third deep of himself into the into the lava, and two thirds above. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So basically, he'd be like an ice cube bobbing in a really viscous syrup. Sure. Know? Yeah. So technically, he shouldn't sink all the way in like he does in the film, unless that ring is really heavy. Maybe that's just contributing the burden all the of weight. the ring. But it's also worth pointing out. The ring floats on top of the lava briefly before it melts. So it would have seemed that that's not the case. But Special lava. So he probably shouldn't sink all the way in, but he sinks. He should sink surprisingly deep into it. So I'll give him dramatic license for that. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's where buoyancy comes into that scene. Uh, obviously, he's falling, just free fall, all that fun stuff. But I, I wanted to focus on the last moments of our friend Smeagol. So, Ian. Yes. Now's the fun part. Where in the world do we ever see buoyancy today? Remember our center of gravity episode? Oh, I do. I wonder if you're going to bring that up. Yeah, I was like, did we already talk about this? And I was like, no, we just, we sort of discussed it. Um, and we've already brought up canoes, so boats and stuff. Okay, could I go into a bit more than that? I, we, you already talked about canoes. What more about do I need to go into with boats? Fair enough, that's a good point. You displace water, bada bing, bada boom. But how, can a, like how, a can, a metal, how can a steel ship float? Steel's heavy. Well, I'll leave that one to you. This sounds pretty complicated. Well, I mean, the steel, you know, it's its not as if a boat is solid steel, right? It's steel 
casing around a bunch of air. And air is certainly less dense than water. So if you get enough it air sure inside is. the boat, then it'll still not Suddenly everything's not be all right. Anything, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to what think of like a fun one. I have a few ones I can go through and you can keep thinking. Yeah, why don't, why don't I think? Sure. So I noticed this when I was a kid, but I hadn't thought about it since then until basically yesterday when I was thinking about this script. So whenever you're underwater, right, and you, or if you're in water and you try to lift up an object underwater, like a big rock or something like that or whatever, mm-hmm. it's easier to lift. Do you know why? Uh, is it because the buoyant force is still being applied on a rock? It is. Yeah, exactly. And therefore, it has like an upward force. Yeah. Basically, it's like, quote unquote, uh, practical gravity. I don't know how to define it. Is lower. It has almost as if it has less weight. The, the weight force, obviously, the gravitational force is still the same downwards. But however much space it takes up, that's water that isn't in that space. So it'll have some buoyant force up. So if you imagine like a 10 pound rock underwater it might have like maybe let's say it displaces three pounds of water right that means there's three pounds of force upwards and 10 pounds downwards so it actually only weighs to you seven pounds and it's underwater kind of cool it's also why you know we um, feel more weightless underwater because we are displacing water right so we have quote-unquote less weight we experience less weight underwater kind of cool hey that is kind of interesting yeah yeah, that's why you feel so floaty underwater. Because I have all that air in my lungs, too. Exactly. All that, yeah, exactly. Because that's way less dense than, than uh, water. Uh, another one um, is hot air balloons or blimps, right? Uh-huh. Um, it's worth pointing out, right? We've been talking about liquid fluids, but gases are fluids, too. Air is a fluid, right? So in, that, right. in those situations, like a hot air balloon, for example, right, the secret is you have air inside that enclosed space, and you heat it up, and... Uh, we know that if if a gas gets hot, it becomes less dense, right? The particles expand outwards, it becomes less dense. So then you have uh, a, a a circle, I mean, let's, let's call it a sphere, of less dense inside of a medium of more dense. And what's it going to do? It's displacing that heavier medium. It's going to experience a force upwards, just like a canoe in water. Pretty cool. Same as a blimp, only it's not heat. In that case, it's just a different... A different gas, like helium or hydrogen. Yeah. One that I could speak to a little bit easier mm. is scuba diving. Oh, sure. So you see, you imagine trying to swim down. I think a lot of people who've been in a pool have tried to swim down to get like a little ring that's on the bottom. That's kind of tough to do, mm-hmm. right? Because we're naturally buoyant, right? We're naturally positively buoyant. We yeah. want to float back up to the top. Um, and so scuba divers wear weights mm. to increase how much they weigh so that they can sink under the water but that means they have to be able to counteract that weight as well so they can change their buoyancy by introducing air into a special vest that they wear oh interesting so it goes from being contained in their cylinder Mm. you know under pressure to being in their vest which lets them sort of balance out and become neutrally buoyant underwater that's really smart i didn't i didn't know that that's really cool yeah it's tricky it's a it's an acquired skill i can tell you that (laughs) <laughs> because on top of that, every time you breathe out of your cylinder, what else fills up? Oh, sure. Your lungs. Yeah, yeah. So you take a really big breath. Like me, I got choir lungs. Right. I you take a big, big more, deep breath and I like shoot back up to the top. So I That's have to hilarious. like be wise in how much I'm breathing and how fast. Yeah. Interesting. That's really cool. I guess as a as the, the human as a system, mm-hmm. the human and scuba gear as a system is becoming, changing its density, huh? Yeah, 100%. That's super cool. cool. Yeah. 
I got one more that I think is kind of fun. Oh, yeah. Let's hear it. All right. I want you to imagine, if you will, in your mind's eye, all right, you are driving down a straight highway in a car, a closed-top car. All right? Are you there? Are you in that space? Is this the balloon? Is yeah. Is the balloon? Yeah. Oh, balloon. I love this one. All right. All right. Are you in that space? Can you picture it? Let's Life say it's a... is a highway. I won't ride. Yeah, I'm there. All right. You're in your... You're in your I don't know, Subaru Outback. And you have a, a red helium balloon, all right? And let's say it's a little bit behind you and like kind of in the, not the back seat, but you know, somewhere in the middle of the car, all right? And you've been driving at this constant rate for a while. It's just sitting there, no, nothing crazy going on. And then you start to accelerate. You start speeding up the car in the straight line. What happens to the balloon, do you think, Ian? Sounds like you already know the answer. But I kind of, I think I know the answer to this one, but I, I always got concerned. You would think that because you're accelerating that the balloon would be left behind. You would. You would. But in fact, you're leaving more than just the balloon behind. You're also leaving behind air. Mm. And the air is going to start pooling at the back of your car, which in turn will cause the helium balloon to float on the on the level of that air. And as it pools at the back of your car, it effectively looks like it's pushing that balloon forward. Yeah. The and, balloon and, comes to the front seat to get a good view. Exactly. Yeah, great, great, great explanation. And and in fact, you can look at it just through the buoyancy point of view as as the air is being thrown back behind you, it's becoming more dense in the back and less dense in the front. So the mm-hmm. balloon starts experiencing this buoyant force towards the front. Try it sometime. I mean, this is nice because everybody can try this, right? Get in a car, get a balloon, and, you know, start going to constant rate. Make sure you have the balloon still and then try accelerating. You would think, I mean, I certainly would think, it would go behind you because that's what most things do. If you hold something that's hanging um, yeah. from a chain next to you and you start speeding up, it'll go backwards. Right. Um, and the balloon, to be fair, the balloon experiences a force backwards. Like, it, it wants to go backwards, but the, the, the buoyant force is stronger than it. So even though it would go backwards in the absence of the buoyant force, it actually goes forwards anyway because that force is stronger. Super cool. Super I would cool. like... If anyone out there does this, get a second person with you. Yeah. And have them film it. Yeah. And then tweet it at us. And don't you dare, don't even think about filming it yourself. If you're driving a car. Yeah, don't do that. And you take a video and tweet it at me, I will ignore it. It's true. I'm not interested. But if you do it with a friend, I will like it. And you get to and share I'll... some physics with a friend. How nice is that? How nice is that? Maybe while listening to this. Here. Uh, right now, cue up your balloon, and Will and I will do Rascal Flats Life is a Highway. Three, two, one. Life is a highway. I'm going to ride it all night long. Did you do physics there? I hope so. I hope you better have done physics there. You got a punchline for buoyancy? I, I, I just realized I actually kind of missed a good, a good movie for buoyancy. It would have been the beginning of the movie It, or the book It, I suppose. The whole like. It's like rated R. Yeah, I mean, it's I didn't not read the book. Friendly to our I, viewers, so scary. Well, I tried reading it at one point; it was very scary. But, yeah. but you know, though everything floats down here. It would have been a classic, good line. It would have been too scary. All right, that's buoyancy. So that's buoyancy. What do we got, Ian? So next up, folks, we turn to questions from the listeners. Okay, questions from the frames. I don't know. I don't have a name for our audience. <laughs> Just from our audience. If you want to send us a question, you can do that. You can uh, email us. 
podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at podcast frames. You can find myself or Will in real life, but we'll forget. So do the other two things, please. This week's question comes from our friend at Anlon17. I want to know whether or not the voltage of an electric fence could be strong enough to actually send someone flying rather than the person just reflexively grabbing and holding onto the fence as long as they're being electrocuted. Is it possible to be thrown? And this is a throwback to our Jurassic Park electric fence. Yeah, Tim the electric boy, I think. Tim like the that. electric boy. Great question, Anlund. Yeah, that, so in that movie, if you recall, uh, zoom, rewind a little bit. Um, Tim <laughs> is climbing, climbing this fence, trying to climb down, but the, uh, the, the, the fence gets turned on before he can get off. And he gets completely blasted off the back of it. Uh, lands on his back, and 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 Dr. Grant, the his kind of guardian at that point in the movie, uh, he's worried because his heart stop, isn't beating. So he's like, oh my God, like, what do we do? Um, and there's a few things there. So in the movie, it's insinuated, you would presume, that it would be an, an AC circuit. We kind of talked about this in that in that um, case. And an AC circuit just means that it's, it's oscillating uh, between a high and a low voltage, which means that the charges are rushing one direction, then they're rushing the other direction, then the other direction, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. As opposed to a DC voltage, where it just means that every charge in there is held at some high energy level, and if something touches it, it'll, it'll run through it. So that's the idea. And it's actually interesting because both those different voltage types cause very different reactions. And And I'm citing a source here. Um, we're looking at the Merck manual. Um, there'll be a link um, you can click on to, if you want to read it yourself. But, but they talk about, you know, obviously burning yourself is a bad thing with electricity because it heats up um, current, can, can heat up tissue. But when it comes to whether or not someone will latch on and not be able to let go of an of electric source, like an electric fence, or if they're blasted off, that actually apparently depends on if it's an AC or a DC power source. Because uh, a DC source, so first let's talk about muscles in your hands, for example. Muscles operate by the nervous system stimulating them and telling them to start contracting and then loosening, right? And the nervous system, you may, you may be familiar with, um, is a bunch of neurons and, and, and neural pathways, and they are all functional on an electrochemical level. So they require these neurotransmitters and these um, ion flows and things like that to function. And so effectively, an electric current can make your muscles flex and contract and all that fun stuff. So a DC um, jolt will make all your muscles kind of like contract all at once. And often that'll mean that you'll get flung from anything you're holding on to because all your muscles just freak out at once. Whereas an AC circuit, that's when you kind of get that whole freezing onto the circuit situation because it's basically continually making your muscles flex uh, and contract like at a constant rate. So it, it kind of never lets up. And what's what's interesting is the reason that you often get in the in the in the case of your hand gripping the thing up being able to let go is it actually makes all your muscles in your arm want to contract it just so happens that generally for most people the muscles that make your hand clench are stronger than the muscles that make your hand relax so even though they're all going the ones that make your hands clench are stronger so they're the ones that kind of dominate so you basically can't let go and that's pretty dangerous as you can imagine it's also not good for your heart and so in the movie the AC source should make Tim latch onto it, so that's wrong in the movie. But his heart does freak out, and that makes sense with an AC of power supply. So, hope that answers your question and Lun 17. Um, if it doesn't, feel free to ask another one or clarify. Or if you're a physiologist and you think Will's wrong, let oh, us know. Oh, yeah. I definitely could be. It Who was Merck could be lying to me. It was tricky to find a source that agreed <laughs> even within itself. So It's true. Uh, I think that's all we have for today. 
Yeah. I can smell the stew on the air. <laughs> Get that dinner. Oh, smells so good. Will, you got any uh, last words you want to say? You know, it's my birthday, and and this podcast is is a gift to myself, and I really appreciate you all listening. So thank you. Um, other than that, feel free to ask more questions. You know, like uh, we love to engage with our audience. So any questions you have, any clarifications you have, any corrections you have, it's all good. So keep them coming. See you next time. See you next time.